0: Hello, Kevin here with another episode of the Can't Make This Up History Podcast. I'd like to say welcome to any new listeners and uh, welcome back to any old listeners. So what makes a genius? Perhaps someone who can memorize endless facts or maybe sees the world in an entirely original way? Uh, who are some people that you would consider to be a genius? Maybe Leonardo da Vinci, Mary Shelley, or Albert Einstein? Would you say that geniuses are born, or are they made? Are you, in fact, a genius? These are all questions that my guest today has given considerable thought to. Craig Wright is Professor Emeritus of Music at Yale University, and during his professorship, he developed a course called Exploring the Nature of Genius that has become quite popular among Yale's undergraduates. Craig has distilled his research for that course into his new book, The Hidden Habits of Genius, Beyond Talent, IQ, and Grit, Unlocking the Secrets of Greatness. In this episode, Craig and I discuss exactly what the term genius means, we explore some common misconceptions of genius, and we talk about some notable geniuses throughout history. This is going to be a fun episode. Before we get into it, though, I want to give a shout out to my Finnish listeners. Uh, that's right. I've discovered that I have a fairly sizable audience in Finland, so I just wanted to say hello to you. Uh, and I also want to give a shout out uh, for a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much to Podcaster204 for their five-star review. Uh, Podcaster204 says, love this podcast. Uh Absolutely loves history and was extremely happy to find a show that treats history in such a unique and entertaining way. Well, thank you so much, and I'm so glad that you enjoy it. Uh, If you've been listening for a while and you like listening to the podcast, uh, consider throwing a review up on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Those things are really helpful. Uh, both in attracting new people to listen to the show, uh, but also they're very encouraging for me as well. It's, it's nice to know that, that you guys are enjoying uh, the work that I'm doing here at the podcast. Of course, if you want to stay connected when uh, we're off air not doing an episode, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at CMTU History. Uh, you'll also find me on Facebook by the same name as well. And if you would like to get a little extra out of your podcast experience, uh, head on over to the show's Patreon page. Uh, On our Patreon, I have a little extra bonus Q&A with the show guests. Uh, Craig and I, uh, we talk about this topic of greatness and how it fits into the education system of today. Uh, How do we treat so-called gifted kids? So if you want to check that out, head over to the show's Patreon page and consider uh, supporting the podcast. All right, that's it. Let's dive into today's show.
1: The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast, bringing you strange but true things from the past. It's not the average history that you learned in school, we're bringing you the heroes
0: Craig Wright welcome to the podcast
1: yeah thanks Kevin thanks very much for inviting me
0: oh um, yeah thank you for being on Uh, today we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about uh, your new book uh, coming out here in October uh, the hidden habits of genius beyond talent IQ and grit unlocking the secrets of greatness Um, I I feel like I could use a little bit of this in my life (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. That, That's—it's ironic that, and my children think that this is profoundly ironic that I, of all people, the ultimate plotter, am writing a book on genius. So, in in terms of truth in advertising, here I am no genius, but maybe it takes a a non-genius to to watch geniuses and to think about genius.
0: All right. Well, uh, if you could, uh, you know, genius uh, aside, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Where do you come from?
1: Uh, it came from everywhere because this was after World uh, World War Two. So my father, who was still in the military at the end of that, we were moving around a lot. Uh, at age eighteen, I had a scholarship to play golf at the University of Maryland, but other kids were already beating me, so I figured that wasn't going to work out. I also had a small scholarship to the Eastman School of Music to become the next Van Cliburn. Um, I pursued that and actually got a degree from there, but I found out one uh, sobering fact while I was there, and that is that I had actually very little musical talent which is, which is a real liability if you want to be a, a performing musician. Uh, so I think the mantra there was if you can't compose and you can't perform, well, maybe you can teach. So off to Harvard, I went to get a PhD in what was called musicology. I enjoyed that very much. And Then I got a job teaching at Yale, teaching the uh, three Bs of classical music, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, and stayed there very happily for 44 years until I recently retired.
0: <laughs> so this idea of genius—how uh, did you come onto this topic? Um, you know, from reading your book, it sounds like you taught a course on this.
1: Yeah, I got started, you know, uh, of the three B's in music, it was actually an M, Mozart, that began to interest me most. And I think many people got interested in Mozart because of this film, brilliant, brilliant film, won 12 Academy Awards. I don't think any film's ever surpassed that. Amadeus, go watch that. It is just still spectacular because it's all done in period costume and it hasn't aged a bit. In any event, everybody was talking about Mozart then. I I started reading about Mozart. I said, wow, this is amazing. The astonishing thing with Mozart is that you have have about 1,200 letters going back and forth. It's like you have all of Mozart's Text messages. So he's talking about what he's feeling that particular day, what he's eating that particular day, what his sexual desires are that particular day, what his artistic interests are, what he thinks of this or that composer. It's really quite fascinating. It's a goal mine of of opening up a window on on somebody's mind. So I started working with Mozart, and then one summer I spent three weeks in Florence. I started rooting around in the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci. and said, wow, this is interesting because there's so many commonalities here. They're both kind of funny and iconoclastic irreverent in their approach to their superiors uh, uh, rebellious independent mindset so maybe there's are in fact as I say commonalities between these famous people. Maybe many geniuses had the same and then off I went but I had to learn something about the sciences but it helps to be in a place like Yale uh, because you have generous colleagues, faculty, other faculty members who will teach you. So it started to build in there, constructed a course um, around these geniuses, and off it went for about 15 years until I retired. Actually, though, I still teach that course uh, annually in an online basis during the summer.
0: Okay, and and I'm sure you've observed with with your students, I I know that I came into this with these preconceived notions of just what on earth a genius is. so let's break that down, you know, what, what are we talking about when we use the term genius?
1: A very very good question because it's one of those words we use almost every day and nobody ever defines it. Even You look in dictionaries and you get only the lamest explanation for what uh, a genius is. We could talk about it over history. Back in the day with the ancient uh, uh, Greeks, for example, they had an idea much like um, Walt Disney's Aladdin where the genie is something that sits on your shoulder and he can do can do good or bad things for you in the coming year um kevin here's here's a question for you um Have you had a birthday recently
0: uh it's been a few months, but yeah
1: did anybody uh, make a cake for you or is there a cake in front of you at any point with a candle on it?
0: red velvet cake every year
1: uh with candle or yep uh, okay so and did you make a wish uh, I did. And blow out the candle. Well, next time you do that, remember that this, this particular ritual is at least two and a half millennia old. You are making a votive offering to your genius who sits on your, your genie who sits on your shoulder asking that genie to do really great things for you in the coming year. That's what it's all about. So genius was thought to be an outside external force up until the 18th century the Enlightenment when uh, then it shifted. Uh, The genie who was uh, uh, subsumed by God during the the Middle Ages and the Renaissance gave way to the humanistic individual. The genius is now inside of the individual. It's up to you to do great things if you do great things. You have the right to those great things, intellectual property, the whole notion that comes into play, copyright. This is all part of the mindset of the Enlightenment. Then things get a little bit crazy as we go into the 19th century with the genius as being uh, a loner, a misanthrope, perhaps somewhat deranged, has these brilliant slap on the forehead, aha moments. Um, and that in a way is what we ha- still have. There's a vestige of of that, uh, that approach, uh, that understanding of genius today, except it's interesting to note, and I'm going on here too long, but it's interesting to note with this concurrent uh, pandemic, uh, and we need a, a genius to rescue us here, the, uh, a salvation figure. Um, but it's, when you hear what's happening, they're talking about Moderna and AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, these chemical companies. Nobody's talking about where's the genius there in that company. It's the genius of the team. So maybe uh, with regard to science and technology today, uh, the notion of the genius is shifting over, away from a solitary individual to a group enterprise. Was Einstein, in fact, the last solitary genius in the sciences?
0: Uh, When I was uh, in grad school, I I took a course on um, science policy, and we talked about something called big science where basically, you know, science and, and projects like that are so large now, the idea that one guy, a Thomas Edison or a Nikola Tesla, you know, working in their lab, they can't do it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's that's right. I think that's what's happening. There's just so much to control for. I mean, you go back to the day of Einstein, and even Einstein in his day, they would have the Solvay conferences annually, and this was in Belgium. And all of the great minds, Poincaré, Rutherford, um, Marie Curie, uh, would show up, Max Planck, would show up and they would, they would talk about what's happening in science and physics and, 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 and so on. So even back then there was a kind of collaborative e- effort going on, but it's only expanded and exploded into scientific labs with many hundreds, indeed perhaps thousands of people working in them at the moment.
0: So, what's your criteria for the book? What's your working definition of genius for the well, people that you profile?
1: Well, that's a tr- that's a tricky question. That's actually the first uh, paper assignment for the kids in, in the my genius class is to write a paper. Very simply, what is genius? Um, <laughs> It's harder than you would think. So we can come up with different uh, 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 long-winded um, explanations. But let me give you a definition that sort of cuts to the chase. Actually, I got on this, now that I think of it, uh, by something that Elon Musk uh, said about genius at one point. But uh, building on that, here's my definite genius. And it is an equation, almost a mathematical equation. G equals S times N times D. So what the heck does all that mean? Well, genius equals significance times number of people impacted by that significance times the duration of the impact. So if we take something, uh, to exemplify how this might work, if we take something like um, Alexander's, uh, Fleming's discovery of penicillin. Now penicillin is hugely important. It saves lives, estimated to save 200 uh, million lives over time. Um, that I would posit is a more significant event than Kanye West who's a very interesting character, a very interesting creative artist, Uh, Kanye West's latest design for a tennis shoe I'm going to go out on a limb here and say penicillin is more important than the latest design for a tennis shoe, so that's what the significance the number of people already referenced here, more than 200 million lives saved, maybe only a thousand people buy this new kind of tennis shoe, Uh, but 200 million have been impacted uh, by uh, the advent of penicillin and ultimately for how long? I mean, how long is a tennis shoe going to stay in in vogue or in in style? Whereas uh, these antibiotics as represented by penicillin have now been with this for 80 years. So again, as I say, genius equals significance times number impacted times duration of the impact.
0: And so with this, opens you up to is not simply just uh, a genius in say the sciences but it it opens up to to the arts and to the, the political sphere and the civic sphere
1: yeah right and and it should. Because I mean uh, Abraham Lincoln who's a, a pretty astonishing person. Actually, been reading a couple of biographies of, of Lincoln uh, of late. Um, Lincoln's an astonishing person, and it's even more he's even more astonishing when you look at political discourse today. You look at political thought. You look at pu- public morality. Uh, private morality is represented by politicians. It's astonishing. I thought the world was supposed to get better. Um, but uh, so that's a that's a uh, uh, a real eye opener, and it does extend. Genius does extend to people like Mahatma Gandhi, and obviously Martin Luther King, uh, who has great importance and relevance even even today. Political figures: Churchill, um, Angela Merkel in Germany, hugely impressive, I think, and the aforementioned Abraham Lincoln. So it is it's, it extends not only through science and technology, but also into the arts and the political sciences as well.
0: Okay, so the, the first thing you try to tackle in your book is just, you know, where does it come from? Is, is it something that we're born with? Is it something that you can teach somebody? What what have been the historical under attempts to understand where this comes from?
1: Well, this takes us back to the old nature versus nurture um, argument, which is now about 170 years old. Um, And it uh, is, if not nature, nurture, it's genetics versus your environment. Now, in the course of my book, I I say that there are a number of habits of genius, these hidden habits of genius. And among them, I would say, curiosity, passion, uh, a visionary imagination, perhaps um, uh, being comfortable with outsider status, being a rebel of some sort, self-confidence, and on and on we go. So uh, I'm going to kick this back to, to you, uh, Kevin. What do you think? Let's say, well, let's take curiosity. Do you think curiosity is something you're born with, or can you make yourself curious over time? Did you ever take a course in curiosity while you were in school?
0: I never did take a class in curiosity, <laughs> but I Just took those, several classes yeah, ahead. that made no, me no, curious. Ahead. I, you know, I will say that I just, some of the best teachers prompted me to want to go further and get curious about things.
1: Well, I would say that, you know, and one of the th- things people ask me, oh, well, OK, so th- so these are important things about genius. What's not important about genius? The, the thing is not important about genius is IQ. A high, having a very high IQ. Oh, you know, the genius is a brainiac with an IQ of over 140 or something like this. They can do uh, these co- computations quickly in the, in the head and and uh, score a great score on the SAT test or the ACT test, whatever it is. Uh, I think that's overrated. What's not overrated is curiosity. um And it seems, in in retrospect, looking back on this curious to me, or odd to me, that there are not courses in curiosity somewhere in a curriculum. Um, I think it, from what I've read, it is a a large part genetic, that people are to some degree born uh, curious. Uh, And and in my personal experience, I think that probably was true. I have now four children and seven grandchildren. So I'm watching all of this. And um, I think some of it is innate and some of it is genetic. But uh, by the same token, I think there are many things that you can do to stimulate your own curiosity. They're probably obvious, but but uh, I think there are things that you can do. So curiosity and maybe most of these hidden habits of genius are to a degree and perhaps a large measure self-regulating or self-regulatory. You can take charge. You can do it yourself.
0: So you see it as kind of a, a blend of, of the two. There's no yeah. real uh, –
1: you know, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I may even stop you here because I have a there's there's a passage in this book. I don't know if you haven't taken a look at chapter one where, where the um, United States best figure skater, number one figure skater. Uh, Nathan Chen uh, won a gold medal in the Olympics he talks about nature versus nurture in terms of figure skating and he is I've talked with him Nathan you're still a student it's okay if I uh, reference you and and take what you said he took this genius class so I've talked with him about this and he has interesting things to say about nature versus nurture from the point of view of a of, a, of somebody that it's won an Olympic medal maybe maybe and he's the guy that was the first to do these figures uh, 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 for a uh, circular twist, um, a jump, you know, cycles or whatever you call those things?
0: Um, I, you know, I found one thing that uh, I found interesting in reading this is that the idea of genius also extends to athletics.
1: Well, I think it can extend to athletics if the athlete is so extraordinary, like Simone Biles, for example, um, or like Nathan Chen, uh, who I could uh, elaborate on here in a moment, is so exceptional that they require a new scale of judging to come into the game, or a, a, there's a new term for what they decide to do creatively, and then all everybody else begins to. Uh, imitate that um, and and that's what we mean by, uh, impact and change people. The scoring process has changed. What other skaters do has changed. So let me read you what a, a student in my genius class said about this. This student happens to be, uh, the United States, America's, uh, number one ranked male figure skater at the moment. He's already won, uh, an Olympic gold medal. His activities are on hold at the moment. Um, so uh, as part of the discussions back and forth between the two of us and Classicist is this is what he said <clears throat> uh, about genius. Okay. In my opinion, there are genetic factors at work in this domain, height, body proportions, general strength, and the capacity to quickly improve muscle memory. But there are, in addition, a number of genetic factors you can't really see and are more difficult to quantify. Among these are the ability to be calm in the face of stress and the ability to internally strategize and course correct in a competition. Hey, that's interesting. You know, I suppose that's true. If you get very nervous, that's probably a genetic issue, uh, stress. Um, and this whole idea about being so uh, in the frame, so mindful that you could course correct during a competition. Can you imagine doing one of these twists on the ice? and Ooh, I'm going too fast or I shouldn't. Uh, that's, De- uh, requires a great deal of self-control. Okay, back to Nathan. So for me, I would say that it is 80% nature. Seen, you know, A lot of this is just natural gifts. Uh, the gold medal athletes get to the accumulated 100%. In other words, 80% nature, genes and luck, plus 20% nurture. For those athletes who are naturally at 60%, nature at 60%, they must maximize the 20% work in order to even think about competing at the top, the 90 to 100% athletes. Therefore, it's difficult to say which is more important, nature or nurture. They both have their importance, but at the end of the day, no matter how hard you train in your sport, without that genetic capacity. Uh, it will be nearly impossible to be the best. So he's leaning on the side of uh, nature uh, there, that it's genetic.
0: Well, and as you mentioned, this is a uh, 150-plus year debate uh, that is going to continue, no no doubt.
1: Uh, Yeah, it will continue because we don't know the answer. (laughs) And the answer is not quantifiable. Uh, we can't, you know, we can't uh, reduce curiosity down to a percentage to say, okay, this is forty-one, per- and those psych- psychologists have tried to do this. People writing articles about this to say that it's forty or your output is forty-one percent uh, genetic with regard to curiosity and fifty-nine uh, percent environment. But that seems to be taking this into the theater of the absurd.
0: So when. When you were doing research into this topic, it, it seems like one of the, the possible traps to fall into is that this becomes, uh, you know, what in history they would call great men theory, you know, where mm-hmm. you focus on prominent individuals, mostly men who've shaped history. Um, so how has gender bias, uh, really kind of historically limited the success of female geniuses?
1: Well. Historically, genius has been, <clears throat> because it's not quantifiable entity, it has been whatever people want to make of it. Is genius relative or is it absolute? I would say that it is relative. You could have a culture in which a particular group of people uh, and their entire sphere of activity and, and life experience would be within that group. It could be a tribe in, in the uh, Brazilian Amazon. It could be, say, a 19th or 20th century uh, Navajo Indian tribe in, in the United States in which their sphere of reference is very different than the Western world, and who their heroes are, who their geniuses are, is very different. Um, And this allows us, I think each individual is allowed to craft a definition of his or her making, and it also points out the uh, issue not only of the importance not to marginalize um, minority, so-called minority groups or the other, not to marginalize them, and not to marginalize uh, half of the population of the planet, women. So um, by having, by understanding that the only thing that's really absolute in life is change, And that our notion of what a genius is will be relevant to different. Uh, groups at different points in history, uh, will we come to understand, I think, a, a more realistic uh, d- uh, definition of it. But getting back to the question of women in particular, obviously they have been marginalized uh, over time. And it is almost, it's almost comical the way great minds over the over the millennia have treated women. Um, uh, treated women um, even if they they had to have more to get in the game and then e- even if they were allowed to play in the game suddenly the rules all change as the game is being played so they are the losers and it's been going on for a long period of time because history is written by men and and words are defined have historically been defined by men, words such as genius. So wit, uh, what a genius is, has historically been defined by men. But as we all know, that is very much changing.
0: Absolutely, and you you include a, a number of um, you know very interesting stories of women geniuses throughout the book. Uh,
1: not as many interesting, not, not as many as I would like. Um, what I learned from studying is uh, them is that they have, all, have to have all of the uh, hidden habits of genius. They have to have the same opportunity. They have to, which degree is luck. They have to have, as men do, they have to have the same degree of curiosity, same degree of passion, same degree of independent spirit, same visionary imagination. Uh, but at the same time, they need more of something. And that is uh, persistence or grit. They need an extra dose of that just because they have to keep beating their heads against this barrier uh, that precludes them from creating and precludes them from having their uh, creative products recognized.
0: Now, when you talk about geniuses, one thing that might come to mind to people is the idea of the child prodigy. You know, the, the genius was doing advanced math equations before they could walk and things like this. Yeah. Um, w- what does Mozart tell us about child prodigy?
1: Well, I think what Mozart tells us, ironically, is don't be like Mozart, <laughs> because <laughs> this, may not, this may not end well. I mean, if you, if you stop and think about it, the parents look at their kids, it's, it's not, it's not the child's fault. It's the parents fault. These, aspir- the, these frustrated parents who try to play out their own, uh, expectations and personal desires and, uh, work that through their, their children. Uh, and as a result what one fails to notice is that this notion of the child prodigy will be of today will become tomorrow's genius, is a, a gigantic fallacy. That uh, only um, the smallest, minutest of fractions of these so-called prodigies. Um, ultimately do change the world in significant ways yes many of them end up being successes and then what's the difference between success and genius but they are not transformative figures and by putting uh, these young people in a uh, straitjacket or or in a, a, an environment in which they are headed only in one direction with one sort of of metrics measuring their success, you ultimately end up with failure, and you ultimately end up with dissatisfaction and perhaps damage, dissatisfaction uh, on the part of the parent, and perhaps damage inherent in in the child. Um, so we have to be careful uh, about this. The best thing to do is understand that uh, the that your prodigy there, uh, the chances of that prodigy uh, becoming a genius are about nil, and you'd be far better off going in a different direction. That's my Take studying these prodigies uh, as exemplified by Mozart. Mozart is the one, along with Picasso, for example, the um, one or two people. Uh, they um, are the exceptions that prove the r- rule, in a sense. Don't be like Mozart.
0: So, what you found is, is most of the the geniuses you looked at did they didn't show these um, just. Uh, remarkable aptitude in their youth.
1: No, uh, that, that's a, that's a funny question because most of these people were uh, uh, not prodigies. The overwhelming majority were late bloomers. I mean, Van, Van Gogh. How old was he when he actually started painting with oils? Twenty-nine years old. Only had a few years uh, to uh, to live. Beethoven. How old was he when he wrote his first symphony? He was he was thirty. Uh, Shakespeare's greatest plays were written in his 30s. Verdi wrote great operas in the 60s and 70s. Grandma Moses didn't pick up a brush until she was 68. So it turns out that there's, uh, in effect, no statute of limitation for exceptional creativity. We can kind of reach our passion, reach our high, high spot, high point, almost at any time in life. Perhaps less so in the sciences, uh, and more so in the arts.
0: Now, on that note of age, you do talk about uh, Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein, um, a little bit. And, and we've covered her on the podcast uh, before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, great topic. But you you know, you know, associate this, what you call childlike imagination mm-hmm. and genius. What, what's the
1: relationship there? Well, it's interesting as you look through this, how many of these people Writers, composers, painters did their best work in essence in, in, say, their late teens or their 20s. And then it was downhill thereafter. I think if you look at the works of Picasso, the great stuff, and it is absolutely hair raising, extraordinary, off the charts, whatever word you want to use, what Picasso painted in about a decade from 1901 to 1911, when he's in his 20s. All this, all of his great paintings and the stuff that's most valuable today, they were done when he was in his 20s. But but even thinking about pop musicians today, you think about the Beatles, you can think about uh, <coughs> Simon and Garfield, and we could probably go on and on, Kanye West is another person getting... Was very very young and doing really wonderful uh, things, particularly with regard to his his poetry. Um, so there does seem to be this this issue that that many people, perhaps young people, because they don't see the world exactly like everybody else. They haven't been shoved into a mindset by their parents and by society. They are still very creative. They just see the world differently or hear the world differently than others. And they're able to capture that uh, other vision, the vision of what might be the vision of the other world. And as time goes on and maybe they read works of other people or people tell them this is how the game is played, they get drawn into a straitjacket and their creativity disappears. There's a word for this floating around in psychology. It's called neoteny. Neotony. And I had never heard of it until I started this yeah, study. I, this is a new one you me heard of well. that? Ever heard of that? No, that's new to me as well. Well, apparently it means, and you can look this up in dictionaries, it means the preservation of youthful creativity and youthful imagination into uh, adulthood and maybe even into your senescence. So, um... Uh, and and that's the trick in a way. If your mind is least fettered in those years and working with looking at and just sitting back and studying grandchildren and how they operate, I would be prepared to believe that if your mind is least fettered in these years, that don't lose that. Um, and when parents say to their children, oh, grow up. Um, that's the worst thing, <laughs> and I, I was as, as guilty as this as the next person. Uh, that may be the worst thing uh, you can say if if you mean it literally. And the best thing to say is don't grow up. Keep that sense of youthful imagination.
0: I think we all kind of retrospectively wish we had a little bit more of that. You know, because you're right; that does tend to slip away as we get older.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, and how to keep it from slipping away. I think it's just be. Open be you know it's an overused experience, but uh, overused phrase. But but the uh, the phrase is be open to experience. Don't get don't get trapped in a, in a particular way of doing business with, with your with your life. Get out there, take chances. Be a you know, and it's hard to do during this pandemic. But when it's all over, I came to realize one day you know there I am in Manhattan. Love to spend time in Manhattan, and actually some days it's fast faster to take the subway than it is to take Uber or cab or whatever. So there I am in on a subway. I forget what, it may have been the number three line going over to, down to Soho or something like that. And I just started looking around first of all I was in Penn station just started looking around well where is all this going what do all these signs mean what are all these people coming in here for this direction And where's that train heading what happens if I go over to this hallway whom will I meet there why are the people um, in this train uh, mostly of people of color why are they carrying lunch pails what does that sign Lafayette mean up there uh, what what is so-ho so 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 what? Uh, and on and on it goes. And uh, you you can just by doing things that you otherwise might not be uh, inclined to do uh, can teach you a great deal. So I and, and expose you to things that you can then couple with other things and thereby be more creative. So that has a that has a lot to do with it. Um, that's part of it, at least.
0: One core uh, habit of geniuses that you identify is this, this curiosity, which we've talked about a little bit, and, and the idea of being a lifelong learner, no, no matter how, uh, what, what your age is. Um, how does Leonardo da Vinci kind of embody this spirit of just endless lifelong curiosity?
1: Uh, I guess it just happens, you know, once in a while somebody comes along. I think Einstein was that way, uh, uh, too. Didn't Einstein famously say, I have no great talent, I am simply relentlessly curious? I am relentlessly curious. And that's what uh, da Vinci was. I think da Vinci wanted to take apart the world. He wanted to take apart everything. He would climb up to the top of mountains and look, root around up there in caves and, and discover, my lord, these are these are fossils of, of bones of fish. Well, what are they doing up here? They should be way down there, you know, 3,000 feet Lower in, from the Apennines, um, and, uh, and that causes him to think. Well, he doesn't. He wants to know how th- this works. So he comes to realize that the Earth is millennia, uh, you know, eons old, and not just seven thousand years, as the Bible uh, told him. He takes machines apart. He takes chemicals apart to see how components are put together to make new kinds of uh, materials that he can paint with and most uh, challenging of all was that he takes the human body apart to find out how the human body worked and what he found <laughs> was radically different than he had been t- uh, been reading in the books from classical antiquity by Galen uh, and other um, other physicians so he wanted to take the world apart uh, everything to, and to see how it worked. And it's hard to say that that was a result of that probably had to be just most of it, a lot of it would have to be genetic because he wasn't given the kind of training He didn't you know, he was an illegitimate child he couldn't even go to the the, the official schools of the time and learn in the official way. Maybe maybe those proved to be a, a huge advantage now that I think of it, not getting, not being able to go to those schools he had to go out there and learn it on his own and once he started learning it on his own, he didn't stop.
0: So, the darker side of genius um, is as we tend to associate, you know, maybe this is from Doc Brown and Back to the Future, but, you know, we tend to associate a genius as maybe being this mad scientist, this mad mm-hmm. man with crazy hair. Um, is there a, a correlation between these historical geniuses and either, you know, madness, a mental illness? Uh, or, you know, even
1: rebellious behavior? Yeah, this is, a, this is a very interesting idea. And of course, it's an old, old, old notion going back to classical antiquity. Aristotle said there's a thin line between genius and insanity. Uh, my favorite quote on, well, a couple of favorite quotes on this. Um, uh, Charles Dodd's Alice says in Alice in Wonderland, you're mad, bonkers, completely off your head. But I tell you, a secret. All the best people are. And on it goes. Robin Williams uh, uh, said toward the end of his life in an interview, you are only given a little spot of madness. And if you lose that, uh, you are nothing. But back to the uh, essential question here, uh, statistically, for example, in my book, Hidden Habits of Genius, I interviewed, or not interviewed, I investigated up, up, uh, in some ways, uh, and sometimes just on, only superficially, about 100 of these people, and I find out uh, about a third of them have some affective disorder of one sort or another, and we could go through the, the list, Newton, Beethoven, uh, Lincoln. Um, Sylvia Plath um, uh well on and on it goes obviously those that uh, ended their own lives then uh, go Virginia Woolf—so so uh, there is a greater incidence my uh, statistical a very uh, imprecise statistical notion here is about a third of the people in my book uh, suffered uh, as mentioned significantly from affective disorders people in the business um, ha- uh, Kay Jameson uh, for example uh, uh, Johns Hopkins Writes uh, compellingly about this and points out that there there is uh, a higher incidence of mental disorder uh, among uh, geniuses. But very little uh, in the sciences, and and in a sense that makes sense, and we could we could talk about why that might be the case. But it gets uh, um, dangerously high, assuming that this is a liability. It gets dangerously high uh, with composers, with politicians. With painters, with writers, and particularly the instance is forty percent among uh, poets, whereas with the general population, a rough figure would be about five to ten percent.
0: And and why might that be? What might might it be about the way geniuses see the world that lend themselves to to being somewhat you know disturbed in their personal lives?
1: Well, it could be, uh, could be that it's self-selecting. In other words, society has come to view some of these activities as being more accommodating for those who have uh, psychic fluctuations, that it is thought to be okay if you're um, somewhat disordered, somewhat unbalanced psychically, uh, and be a painter, for example, or a writer. So it may be a self-selection if we get higher numbers to to some extent. It also may be that these people intuit, and this gets more to the question than it's probably the case, these people intuit, to it, that psychic disturbance offers a wellspring from which can flow transformative creative ideas. It's a source that can be tapped into. Um, And that's worth thinking about. And that's a very different attitude, I think, than, say, a scientist who has to work uh, logically step by step within the scientific method and whose um, accomplishments can be proven, uh, we think, to be right or wrong through some kind of quantification. Uh, The arts generally are not quantifiable, uh, as we all know.
0: One thing that I found was interesting, um is that you include an entire chapter on luck. Um and, and, and I don't think in any topic I've ever seen the you know, a whole section on just uh, you know, being lucky. What why did you include that? What what does being lucky have to do with
1: being a genius? Well, it was kind of a chip on my shoulder because I remember having lunch with somebody whose opinion I respected, and I told her I was writing a book on genius and she sort of laughed and she said, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, genius, I mean, these are just the lucky people. It's all just luck. And I I, I intuited that that's, uh, having done a lot of studies, that that's not the case, that these geniuses have, as I say, a particular set of hidden habits, um, uh, particular personal characteristics that allowed them to accomplish great things. So I started looking more and more at, at luck. Uh, both good and bad. And uh, the takeaway here is, and we've we've uh, so many people have already said it, I think, going back to Pascal, not Pascal, um Louis Pasteur, um, uh, fortune favors the prepared mind. He said that in the university address about eighteen fifty in France, fortune uh, prepares. Uh, Favors the prepared mind. My favorite quote on this, since I'm interested in golf, is what uh, attributed to Gary Player, a famous South African golfer who said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Which brings us to the issue of, I guess, what you call situational advantage. And one of the things that I bang on emphasize in this chapter, luck, is that uh, you can put yourself in a position to be lucky. Uh, You can take a lot of chances that other people uh, won't take. Um, majority of them won't work out, but those few that do m- might be, uh, might you might be uh, hitting a home run. So you gotta you gotta place yourself in a position to be lucky. Another way of doing this, strangely enough, is to move, to move. And one of the things that I noticed, and I don't think anybody ever really glommed onto this, was that all of these geniuses with the possible exception of naturalists such as Georgia O'Keeffe uh, as a painter or Charles Darwin who needed to get out and, out and around the world to observe things. All of these geniuses move to one of two places, a metropolitan center, a large city where there is opportunity uh, and where there is a melding of contrarian opinion, lots of different ideas, or they move to a university where there is an agglomeration of, of, of great minds in theory, agglomeration of great minds and opportunity there in the form of laboratories and, and painting studios, music uh, practice rooms and things such as that. So either move either to a metropolitan area or to a university. They all seem to do that to test themselves against the very best, to be challenged by uh, the very best and to have the very best opportunities.
0: One thing that came to mind as as I was going through that chapter is, you know, how many potential geniuses have there been in history who, yeah, maybe lived in a small, you know, country village somewhere uh, and didn't have access to... Uh, other people or resources or ideas, mm-hmm. and have just simply faded from the historical record. They, they could have been very brilliant and mm-hmm. very Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, this takes us back to the initial que- question, Kevin. What is genius? Now, I have a, a rather high-lift definition of genius, but supposing we said a genius is the person who has the capacity to come up with a significant idea that will affect a lot of people over a long period of time, but doesn't communicate that. If Einstein were born on a desert island somewhere and just sat there, uh, even though he could think up uh, a new construction for the world, a new theory as to how the universe actually operates, but he didn't have the capacity to communicate that to people, would he still be a genius? Supposing he'd communicated that to people and they didn't wanna listen, would he still have been a genius. But uh, it's an interesting question. You could say yes, Einstein, because he could have thought of that. He thought of that, and he just stayed there in his little town and never told anybody, or on his island, never told anybody. He's still a genius, but we've just never heard heard of him. So it's a, it's almost a philo- philosophical question in a way. If if the genius creates on the desert island, does he or she still create? The tree falls in the middle of the woods. Yeah, there we there we are. Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, for those of us, you know, non geniuses, um,
1: (laughs) including myself, (laughs) (laughs) the plotters. What, what, uh, well, that's why, I loved, that's why I loved Amadeus. You know, the last scene of Amadeus, it was, it's not, that movie is about Mozart to some degree, but it's about, it's about genius. And he says, he's going out of the asylum and he's giving a benediction, actually an asparagus. My blessings to all mediocres, my blessings to all mediocres. And that's what we all, the vast majority of us are just those mediocres and we need all the help we can get.
0: We do. It's true. So, what can we get from them by by studying their lives and looking at how they they structure their day and and the things that they cared about? You know, what can we glean from from these geniuses' lives that can benefit us?
1: Um, there are a lot of lot of things to think about. There's a lot to think about. A lot to think about how we can how we can be more creative in our own lives, or more importantly, and it's a question we might want to address at some point, um, uh, how uh, the whole notion of uh, uh, what is genius is it not implicitly um, uh, in egalitarian? Is it not implicitly elitist? What do we do with the so-called gifted? How does this play out in our educational systems, both in within school buildings and at home? Uh, these are very interesting issues. So, but there are really two things: how how we almost selfishly and individually uh, ca- can um, deal with this. What takeaways there are from the book in that way, and what are the implications uh, there are for. Um, uh, Uh, youngsters and how they should be educated and how they should be treated by parents.
0: Well, what are some personal habits of theirs that, you know, someone listening to the podcast could maybe start employing in their life? Uh, You know, you know, for example, listening to
1: history podcasts
0: and being... Absolutely. Get out there.
1: You know, there's so many things. You have no excuse today. You've got all... None of us have any excuse. We've got the whole internet there. We've got these great uh, courses uh, uh, put out there by uh, Coursera and EdX, and you can follow those for free around the world. The, the very best uh, uh, education is for free all around the world. Um, so uh, we can get out there and do that. And as we've talked about, we can also um, be uh and not averse to, be open to experience just getting out and about the world. Get out there and don't be afraid if you're lost. The best thing that can happen to you would be to get out and be lost, no matter what your age. The older you get and you get lost, people are nice to you and they help you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they help you out so there, and there are things we can do to be creative and and this was one of the real shockers for me in the book that there are t- that these geniuses i always thought geniuses are always uh, lucubrating they're they're thinking all the time in point of fact uh oftentimes they figured out that the best way to come up with an original creative idea is to just relax and try not to think and, 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 but that's a whole, that's a whole uh, sort of side issue about relaxation, where you should relax, where you should go, what you should do when you're relaxing and how this plays out and how many great minds over, over the centuries have experienced uh, uh, insightful… Or have experienced insights uh, when they were asleep, or immediately after waking from sleep, or in the shower, and off we can, off we can go. Uh, Archimedes that. in the bathtub. So yeah, and and goes all the way back to Archimedes. Eureka! I've got it. He figured out. He didn't figure it out while he's sitting at his desk. He figured it out while ri- relaxing in a in a bathtub. And so many of them, so many people, over the centuries have have said pretty much the same thing. The other uh, uh, interesting thing about, we are talking about about what not to do or what are the takeaways are, some things not to do. Uh, and I, I f- say this watching youngsters Had a wonderful Zoom conference just last night with three grandchildren and their parents talking about their uh, educations, age, ages 12, uh, 14, and 16. Now. And, and what... What is important and what is not important? And I'm a bit of a contrarian here, having done this research and watched these geniuses. I think, very, and I have opinions radically different than I had when I started out. I thought the most important thing was a high score, get in there, study for your SATs, get straight A's, get into, you know, Yale, you know, Phi Beta Kappa, <laughs> all of this stuff. That turns out to be hugely uh, overrated. Um, um, there are other things that should be emphasized but it's not necessarily the things that we would think of as the markers for exceptional performance for a young person today
0: all right well uh craig wright uh this has been a lot of fun to talk about um i very much enjoyed reading your book Uh, the book again is the hidden habits of genius uh, for those listening, if they wanted to learn more about you or learn uh, pick up a copy of the book, uh, where can they go?
1: Uh, go to it's, It seems a bit self-serving, but um, you can go to Amazon and if you just put in the search box there, Craig Wright Genius. Up will come the book. Uh, And I'm sorry about that. It implies that I'm a genius. But as I've tried, I've issued multiple disclaimers here today. But again, it's go to Amazon, Craig Wright, Genius. And thanks for inviting me.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Can't Make This Up History podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Craig Wright uh, about the subject of geniuses. Uh, If you were intrigued by this... Uh, And you have become curious, as we talked about today, uh, and you would like to get a copy of Craig's book, uh, I have provided a link uh, to his book down in your description in your podcast app. Uh, That will take you to a website called IndieBound.org, and it'll put you in touch with your nearest local bookstore, so you can get a copy of Hidden Habits of Genius. Uh, One more thing for today. I'd like to give a shout out to the Straight Up Strange podcast network that this show is a part of. Uh, There's a lot of interesting uh, shows on the network uh, dealing with history, folklore, mythology, paranormal stuff. Uh, And there is a lot in there that is perfect for the month of October. If you are getting in a spooky mood with Halloween coming up, there is tons of stuff on Straight Up Strange for you to listen to. Alright, that's it for me. Uh, Next time you hear from me, uh, we will be diving into World War II to speak with a World War II veteran uh, who marched with General Patton. See you then. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.